Well, hi, I am Patrick Schwenk, and I am so thankful that you are listening in with me today at Root Like Faith. It is our deepest desire to encourage and equip men and women to be rooted in God's Word, transformed by the love of Jesus, and moved by His mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is more important. Well, today we are continuing our conversation on suffering, and more specifically, how God um, helps us through the hard stuff, how God grows us in the midst of our chaos. And so we're going to be continuing that conversation that we started in our last episode. And as we said last time, uh, we're going to be inviting some of our friends into this conversation. And today I'm really excited to have one of those friends uh, who was a friend in real life uh, with us on the episode. And her name is Candace Wade. Candace and her husband, David, moved to Ann Arbor just about three years ago, and they have become dear friends with Ruth and I, and have been such important leaders in our church. And so I can't wait to share with you today's episode and introduce you to our friend Candace. And so let's get started. Well, Candace Wade is the creator of Love Your Human, an emotional health and literacy resource helping women embrace a more honest human existence through self care, relational intelligence, and authentic connection with Jesus. A marketing strategist by day, she currently lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan with her husband and son. She leads worship at her local church and has currently developed an obsession with houseplants and gardening. You can connect with her on social media at Candace Wade and or at Love Your Human. Candace, welcome to Root Like Faith. Thanks, Pat. I'm happy to be here. Well, Candice, you, first of all, let me just say it, it just, I can't even tell you how much it warms my soul to um, hear your, your newfound obsession with houseplants. So. <laughs> it's been very much so inspired by you and Ruth. So, uh, Well, I was uh, hoping you were going to give us credit. So, you know, we were, um, I, I know, I don't know whether it was a month ago when we were all here in Michigan still uh, on, you know, lockdown mode, we were in shelter in place mode, you know, here in the queue. Mm -hmm. And so it was, I think about a month ago where we had a, a virtual dinner with you and David and our, our yeah. family was sitting around our table and we had cooked dinner and you guys were doing the same at, in your apartment in Ann Arbor and we were having virtual dinner. And so at the end of that, that evening together, I got out the iPad and went around and, and did a virtual plant tour and uh, showed yeah. off all of our plants and you were showing us some of ours, some that needed a little TLC. And so um, it just, I, I love, now, now I get to see pictures of, of you going to the nursery and, and I know you're in hot pursuit trying to catch up with us and we're not going to let you. And so there, I have a lot a, of ground to cover. You do. <laughs> you do. You are, you are doing well. So, um, well, I, I want to just, um, again, say welcome to Root Like Faith. Um, you know, you guys, you and David have, have been dear friends of ours uh, really over the last three years. And I can still remember shortly after, you know, we had just launched, we just had our first public service, uh, a refuge church, the church plant that we had been a part of uh, here in Ann Arbor. We launched, uh, I think, in April of 2017, and it wasn't terribly long after that. I know David uh, was was entering into grad school at the University of Michigan, and so you guys had moved uh, to Ann Arbor um, that summer, if I if I remember correctly. I remember you guys coming to church for the very yeah. first time, and it wasn't long after that that uh, Ruth and I grabbed coffee uh, with the two of you. We we met at our favorite coffee shop. Just a shameless plug here for Ruth's Rose Coffee in Ann Arbor, and we <laughs> met there and talked. and And I remember Ruth and I getting in the car. And we just kind of, we looked at each other and we just said, there's something so different about this couple. And we were just so impressed with you and David, your, your love for Jesus, your love for the church, your love 
for living on mission, seeing people that are far from God um, come to know him. And so we just were so impressed with you guys early on. And, and you guys have been such a blessing to us over the last couple of years and, and have uh, been such a blessing to our family. And, and so we just love you guys. And I'm so grateful that, that you are taking the time just to share your, your story um, today. And I know that it wasn't long after you guys moved here that really you found yourself in, in deep waters. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 69 says, I've come into deep waters, that the floodwaters engulf me. And, and I know that it wasn't long after you guys moved to Ann Arbor that, that you found yourself in deep waters. You found yourself sort of encircled or, or you know, surrounded by, by waves. And I can still remember um, exactly where I was sitting when, when David called me, when David, your husband, called me to, to share the news of what had happened in your life and, and in your family. And so, as you know, we've got a book coming out in September uh, called In a Boat in the Middle of a Lake, Trusting the God Who Meets Us in Our Storm. And it's all about suffering. It's all about trials. It's all about how God meets us in the midst of our storm. And so I just love for you to, to share your story of loss and suffering and what that phone call was all about that David made mm-hmm. to me in, in August of 2017. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'll also say that you and, and Ruth and your entire family have been God's sweet provision to us, um, having moved to a place where we didn't know anybody and we didn't know that we would need, we didn't know what our need would be. So, um, yeah. So what that call was about. So Dave and I moved to Ann Arbor, um, at the top of July, I believe. And, um, in August I was at a work conference in San Francisco, Um, and I was walking, I was on my way, um, to the bathroom during a conference break and my phone kept ringing and and it was numbers that I didn't know. Um, and I remember I was standing, um, in the San Francisco arts museum and, um, I finally, I, I looked at a text message and it was from a number I didn't know that said, um, I don't even think you know this, Pat. I, it was from a number that I didn't know that said, Candace, I'm so sorry. Um, can I please have your parents' number so I can give my condolences? Mm. Wow. And I was, I was so, con- I, my, I was so confused. So I called that number. Um, and it was my younger brother's, uh, one of his mentors at a place where he volunteered at a coffee shop where he volunteered. Um, and, and he informed me that my, my younger brother, my, he was 23 years old. He was a student at, um, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Um, he was killed, um, by riding his bike home, um, by, uh, someone who was driving under the influence. Um, and I, I, I mean, if anyone who's experienced that or things that are even, um, beyond that, um, I, I felt, I just kept saying, no, 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 I, I couldn't, it couldn't compute. I, I, I started screaming. I fell onto the ground in the middle of this <laughs> tech company's work conference where there was things going on in all these different rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and my bra- I just, I just shut down. It's all a bit blurry from there, but, yeah. um, I, some some very kind strangers brought me into a, a room from which I called my mom um, and to my utter just 
dismay, she answered, and I could tell in her voice that she didn't know. Mm. Um, And so then I had to proceed to tell, you know, my own mother Mm. that her son was killed and left to die in the street. Mm. Um, She was in the middle of teaching her first grade classroom. Um, And so we were able to get her out of there before I broke the news. But that was the beginning of what has become like a longer season of 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 deep grief of court cases and um and also just the 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 utter sorrow of losing my only sibling and my my parents losing their only child and holding space for that in the ways that that i can yeah Mm. i you know you you use the word beginning and i think that's so fitting because i think you you know we we all enter suffering suddenly uh, we all enter pain suddenly, and yet we have to move through it slowly. And I, I think, you know, what you're talking about is is, is grief. You know, nobody chooses suffering. Um, it's as if, you know, suffering chooses us, and, and it comes upon us suddenly again, like the psalmist says in Psalm 69, like, I have found myself in deep waters, and, and now what? And you use that word beginning, and, and I think that's so appropriate, because I think anybody that's walked through something tragic and, and, um, you know, just painful is is that it's not like you, it's not like you just sort of come out the other side of that and then you're, you're back to normal. Um, you're suddenly thrust into a a new normal. There's some things we, we do walk, uh, through in life. And then there's other things that we just walk with the rest of our life. And, and I think that's, that's what you're saying is that if you, you lost your brother, Kennedy, and, and that there's a pain in that, a sorrow in that, that, that leaves its mark forever. And, and you um, are experiencing or you experience the, the beginning of that grief and entering into that sorrow and that sadness. And that's really something that's a new journey that, that now God walks with you on, I think, forever until we till we see him face to face. And and so I love, you know, just that that reminder, you know, I think one of the things that that we um, don't do very well in the church is just that we don't mourn, we don't lament very well. Um, And I think oftentimes we sort of have this brand of Christianity that where everything is just sort of positive and encouraging, it's it's peppy. Um, And yet when you read the scriptures, I mean, it's full of mourning, it's full of crying, it's full of grief, you know, these expressions of sorrow. Um, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but I mean, a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. I mean, they're crying out to God in grief and, you know, questioning God, what are you doing? You know, why is this happening? And the entire book of Lamentations in the Old Testament is a lament. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. as you think about just the, the journey that God has had you on over the last three years, I mean, why is learning to grieve so important and, and how have you entered into your grief? Yeah. Oh, so important. Um, it's so tender to, to talk about this topic. I, I think that you're so right. The humans in the Old Testament have an understanding of lament that we've lost or, or watered down in today's culture. Um, like I, I think of the imagery of faith-filled people entering into their grief by ripping their clothes and yeah. tearing their hair out and wearing sackcloth and yeah. not eating. And like they wept and they wailed and, um, they weren't in a hurry. Um, and I think that my experience of loss of, of losing my only sibling, um, because of somebody else's sin really confronted me 
with the fact that in many ways I kind of like built this lifestyle of, of around like doing and performing and kind of hustle and like showing up for others sometimes like at the expense of my own soul's mm. health mm. and, um, and grief was like an invitation of sorts. Not that I believe God caused this. I, I don't believe that, but, um, it was an invitation of sorts to, I guess, like embrace a slower pace of living so that God's spirit could really tend to my wounds. Um, and, but entering into that was, was a huge struggle for me. Um, receiving permission to lament and be entirely broken was really hard for me because it was counterintuitive to my upbringing in just like a Western culture and like counterintuitive to my faith tradition in some ways that often says like, well-intentioned, but incorrectly that, you know, like if you're feeling depressed, you need to rise up in faith and, right. and declare peace, you know, declarations of peace and joy. And, um, and, and often it was even counterintuitive to like my, um, my tendency to think like, Oh, you know, I lost my brother, mm. but other people have it way worse than that too. Other, my parents lost their son. Mm. Like, you know, there are people that I know that have lost everything. Um, and even, you know, recognizing that God is giving me permission to be on the journey that I'm on as I hold space for my parents, as I hold space for, um, others, um, and recognize that, um, entering into that is the only space in which I'll be able to connect with him in this season. Um, and so that was, that, that was a struggle and continues to be a struggle, but it all started with receiving permission to lament, um, and integrate that with my faith. Yeah, that's so good. I, I you know, you know, because you you've been in leadership um, at at our church uh, here in Ann Arbor, and so you've you've watched me and listened to me preach while I was going through treatment. And of course, your husband, yes. um, you know, preached a lot for me while I was recovering. And so you know, it, it's painful. Um, and sometimes it, you you feel like as a pastor, I, I felt that pressure. Um, to to have it all together on a Sunday morning to be able to get up and say something meaningful when all I wanted to do was get underneath the chair and cry, and a lot of Sundays yes. is, is you would be the first one to uh, to um, you know admit today you you can verify this but I cried through a lot of sermons, um, and yeah. and it's funny because you oftentimes you're, you're exactly right I think sometimes you know we have this idea that that you know we shouldn't mourn or we shouldn't weep or we shouldn't question that those are signs of a lack of faith. Um, right. and yet, you know, an honest spirituality is, is a healthy spirituality. And, and we see that example throughout the scriptures of, of people lamenting, of recognizing and admitting that the world is not as it should be. Um, and mm-hmm. things are not right. And it's okay to just enter into that and to mourn that and to name that and, and to weep that reality, um, as we, um, continue to fix our eyes on, on Jesus. And I think that, like you said, is so sometimes so foreign and so hard for us to do that. It, it can feel embarrassing, uh, to do that. Mm-hmm. It can feel, uh, we can feel guilty for doing that. And, um, and so I think you're, so, you're so right. I mean, as you know, grief, you know, in the morning they, they do, they either move us away from God or, or closer to God. Um, I'd love to know, like, what have you learned I think, you know, most about God, um, as you've walked through your suffering over the last, last couple of years, 
Have there been things as, you, as you've walked through that, you've entered into your pain and you've experienced sorrow and paid more attention to your soul? Are there things that you feel like that, that you've learned about who God is that, that maybe you wouldn't have discovered with the absence of suffering? Yeah. Um, that's so, that's so good, Pat. Just like what an honest spirituality is a healthy spirituality. That's, um, that feels so that resonates so deeply. Um, and in answering that question, I remember, I remember laying on the couch and David was, and I was just crying and, and David, my husband was just, you know, trying to encourage me. <laughs> um, and I didn't want to be encouraged. And I, I remember telling him like, I need new things. Mm-hmm. Like I, the old things will not work. Yeah. Um, and that was the only language I had for that at the time. And now I can realize that like I needed to see a new part of God's heart in, mm-hmm. in this season that I hadn't before. Um, and I remember in our, one of the dinners that we had, you put it so you articulated like the words of my soul. You mm-hmm. said like just needing to drink from new wells. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, one thing that's been my lifeline is um, something I learned out of Psalm 23, verse four, um, which is you know very popular in in being shared. The the verse that says, "But I walk through the the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me." Um, but I ended up doing a little bit of a study on that word comfort and. Um, And when I think about comfort, I have historically kind of (laughs) read that verse with like a, you know, someone consoling me, patting me on the back and kind of just like sitting with me and trying Mm -hmm. to like help offer a sense of stability to my instability. Um, But what I learned was that the original kind of inspiration of that word is this idea of, um, to breathe intensely because of deep emotion. Mm-hmm. And it's not this, this, this casual sympathy or a pat on the back, but this idea of deep empathy. Um, and, and it, and it gave me this picture in my imagination of like Jesus sitting with me in my moments of deepest sorrow, um, in my, in my moments of having these very intense visuals of my brother, like lying, you know, trigger warning in the street, like bleeding out and and nobody coming to him and him taking his last breaths, like by himself. And like all, all of these like intense images that someone who's gone through something like this or something similar, like these images haunt us and like God sitting with me and, and not trying to fix me, not even trying to heal me of like my pain, like just sitting with me and breathing deeply and sharing in my experience of pain. Like that was a picture of God that I had never had before because I didn't really need it. Mm. (laughs) Um, and, and so that picture of God, you know, breathing with me, just like taking deep breaths with me when I didn't want to be talked to. Um, I I just wanted to be sat with. It gave me this picture of like the God who sits with me. Um, and, and it gave me the permission I needed to kind of start experimenting in with which like experimenting and discovering like what grief was going to look like, um, in my, 
faith practice and in my, my life with Jesus and my life as a human. Um, so that, that's been the biggest picture and experience of, of this, of God and of the spirit of God that I've clung to, um, in this season. Yeah. It's so, so good as you're, as you're telling, you know, that, that story, um, you know, I'm just thinking of, of, you know, the old Testament book of Job and, and, you know, mm-hmm. where we, we oftentimes, you know, rightfully so, you know, give Job's friends a, a hard time because they just, they, they said a lot of the wrong things. They did, they did a lot of the wrong <laughs> thing, you know, um, you yeah. know, how not to grieve with a friend, but, but there are some things, and we, we talk about this in the book, you know, it, it, there are some things that they do right. And they, you know, they come and they just sit with Job and, yeah. and that, you know, that Jewish tradition that's still in practice today of, of sitting Shiva, you know, Shiva is the, the Hebrew word for seven, where they would just come and sit with the morning for seven days. Um, mm. and, and that tradition still exists today, but it, but that's where it comes from. And, and so I love that imagery of, of, you know, those that come and sit with us and it, it's common uh, amongst many of the Jewish people to, to come and sit and not say anything unless they're spoken to. And so there's sort of the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the understanding that I'll come sit with you and I'll sit on a, on a lower stool with you and enter into your morning. And I won't speak unless you speak to me. And, and of course that, the, what you're describing, the fulfillment of that is not only do our friends do that, not only do we do that, but Jesus comes and he, he dwells with us. He sits with us and he loves us. And sometimes there, there's just no words for that, that God just ministers to us by the power yes. of his spirit. And he, he wraps us with his presence and, and he, um, he ministers to us in a way that we, we can't always wrap words around. And I love, I love your description of that. That is um, so beautiful. I, I think sort of continuing on in that, you know, just thinking about, about friends and community. I mean, what did people do right over the last couple of years? As you walk through that, as you know, suffering can be lonely and it, it is not only is it painful, but it can be lonely. And, and, you know, we can never compare our suffering. Everybody's suffering is unique. And, and oftentimes people, um, love us and support us um, in the midst of, of the crisis and, and can, you know, sometimes that, that attention or that love or that support can, can fade as time goes on. Um, sometimes right. we have to, to establish, you know, new boundaries. Um, and so there's all sorts of, I think, sort of, you know, complex things that happen relationally when somebody's walking through suffering. But, but how important yeah. have other people been for you and your loss? Yeah. Um. You're so right. I mean, grief can be, can feel like it, like an all consuming black hole. And I think that there's a part of that that's healthy and normal. Um, but when I think about people, of course, there's the very practical things people did to support me, bringing meals, sending flowers to my family, like remembering anniversaries and sending me text messages, not just you know, within the first few months, but then, you know, beyond, like, I know you do that for me a lot. My, my friends remember. Um, but I think the most impactful thing has been, um, sharing life with the people who were somehow able to tap into the heart of God for me and recognize and honor like God's timing in my process. So, um, like I think of, 
I don't know the exact verse, but in Ecclesiastes where it talks about how there's like a time for all things under the sun um, and how like there's a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, um, a time to embrace, a time to, you know, refrain from that embracing. And, um, you know, it was really painful in moments where people were inviting me into building or laughing and not recognizing that it was still tearing down time. It was still weeping time. It was still it was still a moment in which everything around me was shaking. Um, and the people who really became the safest spaces for me um, were those who were able to recognize, oh, this is this is a time to refrain from embracing and just sit. Yeah. And and this is a time. This is a time to just to just weep. And then maybe in a few hours, it'll be a time to laugh because those who are grieving still need laughter and you can hold both things in your heart at one time. But just like being really sensitive to the spirit of God to to recognize, you know, where where I was at in my process and all that to say it's hard. I I once I entered into this season, I recognized the ways in which I did not hold space well for people in my life who experienced Mm -hmm. trauma. It's hard to, to figure out like it's. It's very messy. Um, but I think if you, if I think those who were able to, to try their best, um, into, into, into pray and to be sensitive to the timing, um, of, of comments, of, of reaching out, of, of asking for things, of invitations, it it meant so much and it felt so, it felt like such a refuge, um, to know that like the full spectrum of my process was, was being honored and, um, and acknowledged. Yeah, no, that's so, that's so good. I mean, I know we could keep talking about that, um, you know, for, for quite a while. And I just, you know, you know, part of what you were saying is that like just having friends that didn't rush you in that process, that they let you continue to weep and to mourn. They, they, um, were okay with you not being okay. Um, and you didn't, didn't feel rushed in that. I, I love that. I think that's such, such important. I think oftentimes we walk through something difficult and, and everybody else's life goes back to normal and, and they think that you're back to normal and that, that just right. isn't, that just isn't the case. And, um, and so, you know, I think for us, you know, the friends that have recognized that and have, you know, continued to, to cheer us on or be discerning of that, um, have, have been such, um, such a gift. And so I, I love yes. that. I, I want to ask you one last question because I think that that uh, I know there's so much more we could talk about. I wish we had like an hour to keep talking, <laughs> and I'm going to have you back on for for other reasons. Um, and and so we're gonna we're gonna talk again. But on this subject, uh, I wish we had so much more time. But I do want to ask you one more question. You know, you know Kennedy's death came within months um, of my cancer diagnosis, and it also came within I th- I think months of of our worship pastor, her and her husband had to move back to uh, Toledo for, for necessary reasons. And so yeah. uh, her and her husband had been a part of the core group from the beginning and uh, were leading worship. And so there were just a lot of things going on. And so I just remember thinking, we're done. Like, like this is, we're just going to close <laughs> up shop. Um, yeah. and, and so we were in this situation where I was beginning to enter treatment. 
Um, mm-hmm. You had just lost your brother. Um, I mean, and, and Andy and Kathleen, who were a big part of the church plant, you know, had to move back to Toledo. And so it felt like the, the bottom was dropping out. And, and I'll, I'll never forget, I, I um, had uh, called you, you and David and said, hey, can I come over and talk with you guys? And we were coming over to your apartment and, mm-hmm. um, and, and sharing with you, you know, what, what was going on in our lives, knowing what was, what was happening and what had happened in your life. And in that conversation, you know, I had asked you to consider, um, leading worship for us, um, as I was going to be going through treatment and, and going to be gone for four months, uh, going through, uh, stem cell transplants. And, um, most people listening, I mean, that, that are outside of our, our local community have no idea that you are a gifted anointed worship leader. I joke all the time that you're going to be leading worship in heaven. And I mean it. Um, and so those of you that, that are a part of our, our church, um, are, are saying amen right now when they hear me say that. And so I had approached you about, you know, whether or not you would be able to, to really lead, um, the worship and, and to, to really begin speaking into the, the worship culture at our church. And I knew it was a long shot because uh, of everything that you were going through. And I, as I said to you then, I, I completely expected and would have understood if you said you couldn't do it. And yet after talking with David and after praying with that, you said yes to doing that. Um, in, in other words, you know, you agreed to serve others in the midst of your suffering. And... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Excuse me. I I will never forget that. Um, and so I will always be, you know, grateful um, for your willingness to do so. And you did it with such strength and wisdom and grace and humility and 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 so I just am so proud of you in the way that you did that, the way you led our church family, the way you led us and and supported us, you know, during that time. And and so I just love to ask you, you know, one last question because I think that that there is a tendency when we go through suffering and we we experience something painful to become so self-absorbed with that. And, and there are certainly times and seasons and moments where where we have to say no to things. Um, but, but I'd love to hear you kind of talk about how would you encourage someone who is in the midst of their pain, the midst of their loss or suffering? How would you encourage someone as they're pursuing healing, as they're pursuing boundaries to not become absorbed, absorbed with their own suffering and still seek to, to love and serve others well? Yeah. Oh, thank you, Pat. Um, uh, it's, that's such a loaded question. I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that I was invited in to do this. Um, I, I do feel like I was able to say yes to that invitation because it didn't feel performative. Mm. I, 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 I remember telling you, I was like that, I think I can do this, but it might mean that I'm just on stage with a mic crying for 10 minutes. And if that's okay with you, and if you feel like that's an appropriate, you know, invitation for others to enter into God's presence, then so be it. Um, I do feel that one thing that I, I, I've grown more convicted of is that we become, we become, it's easier for us to become more self absorbed when we actually are caring for ourselves Mm. and our yeses have to come from a place of being aligned with what we know God is calling us to do in a moment or else it becomes performative. And the worst feeling when you're grieving 
at least for me has felt like have, you know, you have to put on face. Um, and so, so I guess my, my encouragement would be for someone who's looking to pursue healing and, and not become absorbed with their, their own suffering and also offer service in the midst of suffering would be to, you know, first, like give yourself permission to care for your own soul and invite the spirit of God to do that and and know that, you know, self-care and caring for yourself has a scary connotation for many Christians, but God is not scared of our soul. And and we have been given a mandate in in Proverbs 4.23 to actually guard our hearts because all of our service will actually flow from that place. And so I, I think cultivating a practice of allowing your emotions to, to, to rise and exist so that you can process them with the Holy spirit in a way that's healthy, healthy is is a wide spectrum. I mean, a lot of my emotional processing with the Lord included my husband's punching bag downstairs and like (laughs) unloading and expressing a lot of anger around a lot of righteous anger and, and, and inviting the Holy spirit to like, to, 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 to tend and, and nurture me and, and and be present with me in healthy expressions of anger so that they weren't deep within my soul. Because if they if I didn't process them, I wouldn't have been able to serve. I, I would have been, I would have been, you know, it, it always comes out one way or another, whether that's me snapping at my husband or growing, you know, resentful of somebody who's asking me to set up chairs at church in the morning. Like if we don't deal with, if we don't give space for our real and valid emotional experience of grief. And we try to serve from a place of, of un unprocessed emotion, emotion that has no space to like be expressed. Then it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, and so I guess my, my encouragement would be to create safe spaces for yourself to actually mourn and grieve and not, you know, censor or hold back that expression in the presence of the Lord, whether that's through, you know, intense movement, like for me, punching a punching bag, or that's through, you know, dancing and worship, or that's through, you know, going on a, a car ride and, and, and weeping and, and, and screaming and, and letting out that, that very raw um, expression of emotion. Once you're able to actually hold space for your pain, it, it almost like empowers and inspires you to be able to show up for other people as well in the midst of that pain, not, you know, without that pain existing. So I, I hope that makes sense, but that's kind of how I was able to pinpoint, okay, this is an area in which I can give yeah. um, because I'm taking, I'm also inviting Holy Spirit to, to be with me in the midst of it. Yeah, that's so, that's so good. I know we could we could spend lots of time just sort of unpacking some of those things, yeah. and, and you know, it's so important because I, I think you know we have to as we walk through difficult things. Um, to it's so appropriate to to practice good soul care, um, self care, uh, to set those boundaries, uh, to allow God, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the space to to bring about healing um, in those in those places of our heart that have been deeply wounded. And yet, out of that emerges something so beautiful and powerful. I, I think that that when the Spirit of God is at work in our in our life in that way, and and we are you know um, crying um, inward uh, to God, and He's healing those places. Like it, it, it allows us 
I think to as we engage in other people's lives to to love right. in in such a different way than we did before. And, and I know again we mm-hmm. could talk a lot about that, but but I think as God is is healing and as He's restoring and drawing us into a deeper relationship with Him, He's purifying our love. I mean, He's purifying our love for Him. And he's really purifying yes. our love for other people. And I think that's been one of the things that was so eye-opening for me in, in my suffering was I realized how much I, I was oblivious to other people's suffering and, right. and how much suffering softened my own heart. And, and right. as I've you know, been on that journey of, of healing and invited other people, you know, um, Christian counselors uh, into that process, helping me see things that I can't see. Um, it's allowed the spirit of God to, to soften my heart and, and to restore, but also to begin, um, you know, allowing me to love and serve other people in, in, in a different way than I did before. Uh, I know we talked a lot about, um, uh, you know, in the last year that, that, um, that Henry Nouwen analogy, uh, that he mm-hmm. uses, you know, that, that book was so important for me, uh, the inner voice of love. And, and in it, he, he talks about that, that imagery of a castle, you know, surrounded by a moat and, and that castle has, you know, a drawbridge. And, you know, he just makes the point that, that for many of us, the drawbridge is always down. Um, and and mm-hmm. he essentially says that the, the bridge is down and we just have let people kind of come into our life, come into the interior of our life um, based on their needs. And there are times that are appropriate for us to raise the bridge, uh, to protect our heart, to guard our heart, to allow God to heal. And um, yet, it's yeah. that tension of allowing God to do that, and yet also God's call for us to continue uh, to love um, and, to, and to serve others well. And, and I would just say that you have done that uh, beautifully. You've done that well. And so um, that, that is not an easy thing to do. And so I just want to, again, thank you for the way you've done that um, by leading worship and the way you and David have done that through the leading of, of others in, in small groups and in so many different ways. And so you really have managed well um, serving others in the midst of your suffering. And so I want to just thank you again for our conversation today. This has been so good. And uh, again, we just love you guys. And uh, we're just so grateful um, that God led you to Ann Arbor and that you've been here over the last three years now. And just the opportunity we've had to get to know you, the influence you've had on us and in our church. And so thank you again um, for our conversation today. Um, I want to just remind our listeners again that In a Boat in the Middle of a Lake isn't here until September 8th. Uh, but you can pre-order the book today and get the first three chapters right away. You can get a scripture memorization guide and even an exclusive access code to a private Facebook group that Ruth and I will be doing. And we'll be giving you a sneak peek into our lives and sharing some more resources with you over the next few months. And then you can also head to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere books are sold to pre-order your copy. And we'll be sure to leave the link to the pre-order goodies in the show notes. And you can go to inaboatbook.com for all of those pre-order details. And again, as always, um, you can go to our show notes on rootlikefaith.com forward slash podcast. You'll also be able to see um, Candace's full bio there and follow her on Instagram as well. And you can follow us uh, at Patrick W. Schwenk and at Rue Schwenk or on Facebook. And as if we don't say it enough already, we are so thrilled and grateful that you are joining us and we welcome in, uh, welcome you into our family here at Root Like Faith. And so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast so you don't miss an episode. Mm-hmm.